My name is Steve Coleman. I'm a member of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel, and I have the distinct privilege of being able to continue in our series on Malachi. It is not the easiest book to go through. It's maybe exciting, but it's not the most comfortable book to go through. We're going to have to experience some of that this morning. So for you workers at the carnival, I'd love to be able to pass out little airline pillows and tell you to sit back and listen to a soothing message. But our verses today are pretty energetic. They contain a couple of surprises, and they're anything but relaxing. You may actually hear something you've never heard in church before. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Malachi. We started this series two weeks ago. Uh, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew and the rest of the New Testament. But before we read the text, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt you wanted to take the next step in your relationship to God? Where do you start? What things should you do? What's the most important things? Well, today we're going to talk about people who are at that next step. This section addresses the Levite priests in the Old Testament and what God was commanding them to do. We're going to look at what God says to them and see what it might mean for us. You know, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, as I said. It's not, that's not unique in our Christian Bibles. In the Jewish Bible, the Tanakh, uh, it is at the end of the section for the prophets. It's not at the end of their Bible, but it's end of the section of their prophets. They call it the seal of the prophets, kind of the finishing touch on that, or the last among them. And we learned from Julie two weeks ago when she kicked off this series that the name Malachi means the messenger. So we don't know anything more about this person who wrote the book except that the name given to him is the messenger. From everything we know, Malachi was the last written message from God to Israel prior to the coming of Christ about 430 years later. So we're in the, in the context of the temple in Jerusalem, Hezekiah's temple. We are, uh, there's a set of priests, the tribe of Levi, that... Um, that staffs that and that takes care of what is the sacrifice system, the festivals, and so on. This section of Malachi addresses the priests. So, so we are really kind of a, a couple of steps away from trying to apply this directly to our lives. So you've got to hang with me as we sort of dig at what's being said, what it meant in the context of the priests. And then we, can, then we can start looking at the principles and how they would work. And we have to understand that the, the priests and understand what God's doing in this point in history. Israel had again lapsed into complacency. They had gotten charged up and involved as they returned to the land from the Babylonian captivity. And the wall of the city, the city got reestablished, the walls built, and a temple was built. You can read those narratives in the books of um, Hezekiah and Ezra. Now, one additional note, 
course, we're going to talk about the sacrifice system and some things in that context. And the sacrifice system was a place where animals were offered as sacrifices. They were symbolic sacrifices. They were meant to demonstrate uh, God's covering over of sin through sacrifice. They were all pointing ahead to the coming of Jesus Christ, who died a sacrificial death on the cross so that we might live. It says in Acts that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. They saw that connection. I'm sure a great many of the priests did not as well. Uh, but we, there was a Pharisee that came to the Lord and many others who didn't. Uh, but the ones that came, they saw that connection. They saw how these things fit together. Well, we learned some things in chapter 1 about the context of the book, Julie's message two weeks ago and Bill's message last week. Number one, God declared to Israel that he had chosen them. He set his love on them. It says in the second verse of the book, I have loved you. And that is the banner over the whole book. Even though God has some really strong things to say in this book, it's written in the context of loving his people. So as we try to get a, an idea of who God is, we try to understand God as he's revealed himself in Scripture. Yes, we have God is love. And that does pervade. God is love. So what he does are loving things. But the Bible has a lot of different kinds of ways that it is written. You have some celebration passages which are exciting uh, to, to read. You've got some classroom stuff where it's just sort of not up or down, but just sort of on, uh, on an even keel. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes like this, where you study it and say, okay, yeah, I got that, got that. There's some high drama, the book of Esther. Uh, there's some, some real uh, grieving time, some real sad times uh, when we think about the flood of Noah's day or the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, certainly uh, Christ's death on the cross. What a time, first of all, of mourning uh, until the truth of the resurrection came through. And this is one of those different kinds of scriptures that come at us. And we're going to see... Uh, but we read in, in here that God is saying in chapter 1, to you priests who show contempt for my name. So you've got you know, sort of the image of some, somebody uh, raising the volume, speaking some harsh words, some brutal truths. Uh, not only had the priests drifted away from God, the people had drifted away from God. And they had substituted Sometimes uh, a blemished lamb in place of a perfect one. And God says in this section, my name will be great. And in that context, he's saying, you are my people and I love you, yet you've turned away and do not honor me. So with that as a background, let's take a look at the first verses of this section. Malachi 2, verses 1 and 2. And now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen and if you do not take heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, 
then I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already, because you are not taking it to heart. These verses identify what God's looking for. He's looking for the priests to set their hearts on honoring him. God did not say the commandment was to simply say the right things or to do the things that were consistent with someone honoring his name, to fulfill all the duties of the priesthood. They were doing those things. Far from it. He says here for them to take it to heart, to honor my name. In another part of the Bible, God talks about Israel. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. That's the situation here. They were fulfilling the priestly duties. They were saying the right things. They were acting correctly. But their problem was they had hard hearts toward God. They had turned away from him and had hearts that were focused on anything but God. God's urgent command was for the priests to set their hearts in a way that made honoring God their priority. You know, it's a reasonable request to make of priests. This wasn't the -the run-of-the-mill Israelite. This was a group that had been selected, the tribe of Levi, to be the spiritual leaders of the people, to serve, to instruct them in right living and in God's ways, and to represent them before God in the sacrifices, represent God to the people in terms of instruction. If they weren't honoring gods in their hearts, what example did that give the people to follow? And then God says, if they do not listen and take it to heart to give me the honor, then I'm going to curse them and their blessings. What blessings are being talked about here? And how do you curse a blessing? There was a blessing given to the priests to bless the people with. It was a blessing that we find earlier in the Scripture that God gave to Aaron, the priest, in the book of Numbers. Perhaps you've heard it before. Where? Numbers chapter 6, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus shall you bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel. And then I then will bless them. Notice that God says in that last verse, The blessing invokes his name. Bill showed us last week that in Malachi chapter 1, we read that the priests actually had contempt for God's name. Well, how are you going to invoke the name of God to bring a blessing? In the blessing, the priests were calling on God's name to bring blessing. God in Malachi perhaps is saying, if you're not setting your heart to honor me, if you're being sucked in by your own heart that wants to go its own way, then I'm not going to provide the blessing that you're asking for. There's a disconnect. Another way to think of it is the way Jesus talked about the heart to the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
You are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful. But inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy. He also said, it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, that is from the heart, that defiles the man. There's nothing the priest could say to a holy God or about a God from their unclean hearts and end up with God's blessing. It just can't be done. You know, and the consequences are more than just the absence of a blessing. Uh, God is saying both the priests and the people are going to experience problems instead of blessings. And it's not in our section, but later on when we get to chapter 3, we're going to read about that. Uh, Malachi makes it clear what kinds of problems both the priests and the people are running into. But looking further down in our section, well, wait, do you want to go further? Things get more intense. This is the disclaimer. You can leave the room if you want. It's your last chance. Malachi 3, through, verses 3 through 6, Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave him, gave him to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me, and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. Okay, a few things we have to say here uh, to sort of figure this out. The first thing, maybe let me talk to you kids. Uh, You can't just go and threaten your brother and sister. I'm going to smear dung on your face. And then go into mom and dad and they say, what are you doing? And say, well, I was reading in Malachi 2. And God says, God's turned up this volume, turned up this, this, this strength of his message for a reason. Because he's trying to wake these people up to the fact that they were heading toward impending doom. We'll talk a little bit more about this. Why is God so upset? Why is God so angry? Why is he resorting to this kind of language to get their attention? Why is the tone so intense? God isn't just angry and simply has lost control. No, there's a purpose for this. Bottom line, it is because he loves. He's concerned Because things have reached a point of crisis and have to change. You know, when I was a senior in high school, showing off age now, the Vietnam War ended just months before my 18th birthday. So I never had the privilege of attending any of our government's military boot camps. Don't know if any of you had the opportunity. Do you know how they're run? Well, when you get off the bus, 
Do the drill sergeants give you a hug? Ask about your family relationships and if you have any father issues? Do they ask how they can make your stay more comfortable? The first evening, do the sergeants explain that they're going to build a relationship of trust so they can earn the right to be heard and speak into your life? Or is it more like this? (laughs) The government doesn't pay sergeants just so they can spend a few weeks enjoying yelling at you and calling you a maggot. No. Instead, the entire boot camp is carefully, a carefully instruct, a constructed experience that transforms civilians into a fighting force that's able to complete its mission and has the skills necessary to come back without being killed in the process. And those in this picture, young men need that experience in order to learn the right way. God also does things carefully, even turning up the volume with these harsh words, and he does it out of love. He's in the business of transforming people. He's in the business of saving us from our own sin saving us from the ways that we do not measure up to God's righteousness or our own measure for ourselves. You know, we don't consider a person rude for running up at us and screaming that the building we're in is on fire. God is communicating the seriousness of the problem and its urgency. But let's see what he means. What does he mean by the refuse of your feasts and why spread it on their faces? I think this picture God's providing them is communicating something. That if you were a priest, I think you'd get it. Let's talk a little bit more about it. The priests were the ones that offered the sacrifices that the people brought. So what would normally happen is that they would um, cut up the animal and parts would be used in the sacrifice. The rest of it was considered useless for sacrifice, and it was taken outside of the city, or the camp, as you read Leviticus about it, and disposed of, burned. Let me read to you from Leviticus. But the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be taken outside of the camp, and they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuse in the fire. Leave, uh, Leviticus 4, uh, talking about the regular sin offering. But the hide of the bull and its flesh, with its head and its legs and its entrails and its refuse, that is, all the rest of the bull, he is to bring outside the camp and burn it on wood with fire where it shall be burned. So the refuse which, if you sort of chase down the Hebrew word, doesn't result in anything spectacular. So it sort of points at that whole idea of what we usually get rid of in the bathroom. Uh, Whether it's already outside the animal or still in the large intestines. The Hebrew word doesn't discriminate between, between, uh, between the refuse 
in those two places. So what happens is, as they uh, take this animal apart and take the parts for sacrifice, you're left with the digestive tract, plus any refuse that's come out of that digestive tract during that time. And all that stuff is not just waste. It's considered not ceremonially useful in the offerings and taken outside of the city to be burned. So, on feast days, because he says, your, your feast offerings is what I'm going to spread on your face. Well, what were the feasts? The feasts are, in shorthand form like this, sort of the... Uh, generally refer to the three times that all of Israel comes to Jerusalem to celebrate. You have the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Uh, And at these times, there were, even in this day, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Israelites flooding the city and all these people looking forward to sacrificing to God. So you had... Tens of thousands of animals being sacrificed. So you had entrails and refuse in big piles. Feast times are times of celebration to get together to remember God's faithfulness. And God says, even in this time of celebration, I'm going to take this stuff and smear it on your face. Well, what does that mean? As far as we know, God didn't come down and physically do that with these priests. What would they have understood with this? By saying he would spread refuse on their faces and that they would be taken away with the refuse to be burned outside the city, God was saying they were not fit to be priests, that they were unclean, useless in the sacrifice process. Because their hearts weren't right, they could not stand before God to represent the people. They just simply weren't clean from a ceremonial standpoint. You know, but from God's view, and they would have heard this too, they were not just unfit to be priests, they were contaminated. So that they were not suitable as an Israelite to come and offer a sacrifice. And... If they're doused in dung and they understand what God's saying about who they are and why he's doing this, then they weren't even clean enough to be part of a sacrifice. Beyond that, even, they had themselves become a contaminating agent that would contaminate everything they did as priests out of a job disqualified. They were fit only to be disposed of. That's the wake-up call God was giving them with this imagery. That's why the words are so harsh. It's stop. Look what you're doing. Get the message. These priests opened themselves up to contamination. They had turned away from God. They'd hardened their hearts, developed a disdain for God, and refused to honor Him so that anything they offered was no good. And they had opened their hearts up to everything else and had it drawn away. 
The image of smearing refuse on their faces meant to indicate that while the decay and corruption of the heart did not show on the outside, just like the Pharisees, it was all beautiful on the outside. What everyone else saw was a fully functioning, honorable uh, priest. God was going to match the insides with the outside. You're corrupted on the inside, then let's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, call you out and you will be revealed for the corrupted people you are. You know, this time of year, apples are great fruit. And, uh, but sometimes you can have bad experiences. They say there's only one thing worse than biting into an apple and finding a worm. That's finding half a worm. And the thing about apples is, they're a pretty hearty fruit. And the worm just punctures that little hole. But once they're inside, they go crazy. And the apple never shows it on the outside, at least for a long while. They can look good on the outside. But if the worm's gotten in, the insides are being consumed as, as we watch. We all enjoy the fact that people cannot see inside of us because our hearts, we have a hard time guarding our hearts. For these priests, God's revealing this heart, saying, I'm going to reveal all that corruption in there. We are self-focused. We fall short of the person we would like to be. And by honoring God, by serving Him, He's in the business of transformation is working us toward the image of Christ from the inside out. But God knows all about what's in the heart. And his urgency is for everyone to turn their hearts to him. But these priests in particular were thundering toward the cliff. The best news of all is that God knows us. He knows our hearts fully through Jesus' sacrificial death for us and his resurrection, we can have new life and a clean heart. The Bible says God is after us, looking to save people. And when we believe him for that salvation, why, we have eternal life. If that's any kind of question for you, Rick, who was up here with communion, sitting over on that side of the auditorium, is someone you can talk to. David and Ann right here in the second row over in that section. Bill's right here. Julie's on the far side there. Where's Andrea? Ah, well, if you go to the nursery, you'll have somebody to talk to there. Both uh, Joe and Andrea are there, I presume. For those of you who have a relationship with God, the best news of all is that God knows us and knows our hearts. We have the righteousness of Christ, but we need to guard our heart, set them on honoring God. Well, back to our passage. At the very end, and we just want to fit this in, God talks about the covenant with Levi. He says, I have sent this commandment to you, that is, set your heart to honor me, so that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And then he talks, talks about that covenant. What is the covenant with Levi? 
We know the Levites were one of the tribes of Israel. And they were notable particularly because, and this is the time of Moses onward, we have several examples of this, but they're noted for their zeal for God. There's one particular incident, and we read about involving Israel in Aaron's time and his son's time, his grandson's time. Israel, in their travels after leaving Egypt, they camped near the cities of the Moabites. And Israel began to worship Moabite gods, and they took some women as their wives who were idol worshipers. God called Israel to repent of this involvement with idol worship and called them to repent and come back to him. And, and Israel did. And while, the, while a large group of the company was weeping in front of the tent of meeting over their sin, there was an Israelite leader who brought a Moabite woman into the camp in front of everyone. Aaron's grandson Phineas stood up to him and God commended his zeal. This is what we read, what God says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel. Behold, I give him my covenant of peace and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for God and made an atonement for the sons of Israel. You know, priests should have been energized and excited, zealous for God and his love, carrying out the sacred honor of worship, worshiping God and instructing the people and turning them back to God. These Levitical, Levitical priests were going forward with their duties, but nothing about them, who they were at the core, was about God or set on God. They kept God out of their personal lives. In light of the cliff they're heading toward, God sends this wake-up call with its dramatic language. An urgent, critically important warning to try to wake them up, to jolt them out of complacency. We share something with those priests. After Israel came out of Egypt, God told Moses what his vision was. His vision was that the nation Israel would become a nation of priests and that they would be priests that would be bringing God to all the other nations around them. That vision was never realized during this Old Testament period. But in the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter calls all those who are part of God's church, he calls them uh, priests. That we're a kingdom of priests. We have this covenant. God has placed on us a responsibility to serve as priests to the people around us, the people in our spheres of influence. Just like the Levites before us, God's looking for priests who by heart and life and sometimes words can be his messengers to the people that are in your particular circle of influence. So that's one way in which uh, this message to the Levitical priests to wake them up uh, can be pulled over 
and applied to us, and directly so. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Uh, Help us to understand you better. Help us to understand your word. Help us to be people that honor you. We are so thankful for the righteousness we have in Christ and the opportunity to be children of yours. Guard our hearts this week. In your name, amen.